the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And here it is, a uh, Wednesday. It's hump day, middle of the weekday, over the hill day. We are now closer to uh, Friday than we were on Monday. That's always a good thing. I don't know if you got a chance to last night, but on FS1, I hope that you settled in and watched the uh, World uh, Championship baseball matchup. Great game. Great game. A lot of fun to watch. And uh, um, I got to tell you what. Trout took the gas twice at the plate. He was chasing balls last night. I mean, chasing left and right. And I don't care how often Smoltz tries to make excuses for him. He was chasing bad balls. When you chase a ball in the dirt, you're you're thinking too much at the plate at that point, not reacting enough. And he uh, he struck out one time with a couple men on, and then he struck out there in the ninth inning and uh, ended the ball game. Uh, and, uh, you know, the United States had their opportunities and didn't make the most of them. It's just what happens sometimes in baseball. You know, I think if they played a seven-game series, it would be a great series. I really do. It would be a, a great series because the, the style of play is just completely different. Yep. I mean, the discipline of Japanese baseball is totally different from kind of the free, the free will and play of uh, American baseball now. So, it was a great game though. But I'll tell you who I I can't wait to watch play a whole season this year. Hopefully he doesn't get hurt or anything. It's Trey Turner. Oh yeah, that kid is unbelievable. Yeah, he's a ball player. No, he's unbelievable. He's really good. I mean, uh, during the, the this championship series, I think he was hitting four seventy five. Hit. First time up, you hit the home run. And uh, and I, I think I texted you and I said, what a sweet swing. And it really is. It, it is so effortless. I'm, I was really impressed watching him play. And I have a lot, a lot more respect for Japanese pitching. They use two pitches. I don't know how much you got to watch of it last night, uh, uh, Aaron, knowing you're a former pitcher. But here's what they threw. A fastball. Low 90s mm-hmm. and uh, a split finger that worked. That and and they practiced so much that the way they delivered both picture pitches looked identical. Yeah, I mean identical. And uh, of course, a, a split finger uh, probably about eight miles an hour slower than the fastball. And then when he gets right up on you. It comes down the same shoot as a fastball will, and then it gets to the end, and it looks like it drops off the table. Yep. So, and they got a new way of, of throwing it. You know, it used to be that you literally had to split your fingers way wide to be able to throw that ball correctly. Well, I know some people. They use the knuckles it. somehow. Oh, well, I know some people that just throw it with their 
Yeah, well, that that's almost like a knuckleball. That's what I'm saying. But. At that point. But, I mean, seriously, the the way that they throw it, they don't split their fingers like that. They hold it kind of like a two-seam fastball, and they they push with the knuckles somehow. I don't know how they do it. Um, I'm too old to learn it. So. Like you said, the <laughs> Japanese, I mean, they take baseball seriously, like, Almost religiously. Well, it's a it's a science too yes. for them. It really, really is. Okay, enough about enough about baseball. Let's talk to Congressman Hill. He's waiting to get into the conversation here. I don't know if you got a chance to watch any of that game last night, Congressman, but it was great. It was a great ball game. I didn't, and I'm disappointed. I'm going to go back and and look at it because you're 100 percent right about uh, the Japanese taking up the American pastime and how they've perfected it. It's unbelievable to see those nuances and uh today here in dc and in tokyo today is the peak of the cherry blossoms in both cities so, oh cool uh, another thing that we love in common is spring and uh for both baseball and for cherry blossoms. yeah i love i love the cherry blossom time in dc if people have never been there for that they need to go because is, is this the weekend for the parade and everything yeah well yeah and uh it's packed. I mean, I went by I yesterday when I got back in town, and uh, but it's so worth it, and it's such a, you know, it was 60 degrees here yesterday, so it was a perfect spring day. Well, great. I'm glad that you're having good weather for it. That's, uh, you know, that's kind of a necessity. I think the prettiest place in Washington, D.C. during that time is by the Jefferson Memorial. Yeah. It's just a, and, you know, if the wind blows, those pink blossoms, uh, blow off the trees and it's like a really like a pink fog that blows across the tidal basin it's really beautiful and so the kids are having a ball out there when i drove by yep i i understand okay well let's let's talk about serious stuff well enough enough of about fun stuff let's talk about not fun stuff what what's your take on this whole thing with former president trump well, you know, this thing has drug on. I think probably a lot of folks didn't even know this was still happening, you know. And my comments are, are twofold. One, uh, this is way past the statute of limitations on this case. So yeah. If you're thinking about it legally, if you're thinking about it legally, this just uh, tells you that it's just a persistent uh, witch hunt on this. Uh, secondly, I'd say legally, you know, I think the charge was that, Somehow, that paying Stormy Daniels was connected to, you know, an FEC violation, which I don't know how that has anything to do with state law in New York. But no matter what you think about this, uh, you know, it's political. And uh, what the DA in New York ought to be focused on is trying to control crime in New York. So, I mean, most people here are just burned out with this whole topic. Well, I think I think Americans are pretty much burned out on this topic, except for the people who have Trump syndrome. I mean, those people will never be happy. You know, there's there's people like that dealing with the Clintons as well. You know, they got they got Clinton, uh, you know, mental, uh, you know, jobs going on. I don't think about the Clintons hardly at all. And the, uh, the latest story about. At what happened to him in New York City? I I got a good chuckle out of that. I guess you heard about that, didn't you? No. What's this on? Oh, they she they they went some like it hot is back out on Broadway again. Oh yeah, great and, show. And she and and uh, Chelsea went to the theater to see it, 
Well, sometime during the course of the first act, somebody placed two big turds on on the aisleway right next to where they were sitting. Oh, my God. That's horrible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so anyway, they cleaned it up, and the second act went on, and they stayed there and watched the rest of the show. But, yeah, that's the big story right now about the Clintons. The bottom line is, who cares? Yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, you know, this is a former president. This is an ancient story past the statute of limitations. Yes, it's just as you say, just keeping this persecution of people who we disagree with in the light. And you, the Clintons are you know a good example of exactly that point. So anyway, here in Washington, there's so many more important things to focus on that uh, that's just sort of it's just a it's just a here we go again sort of syndrome is what people are talking. So where does this play out, though, as far as constitutionally? I'm going to have somebody on from the Heritage Foundation uh, in the 10 o'clock hour to talk about this because it's the first time a former president, if he is indicted, because now there's stories out that it ain't going to happen, that the that the, uh, the grand jury is meeting again today and they're going to deny uh, an indictment. So depending on what happens, why does this indictment, is it is it a, is it some kind of a constitutional crisis for us? You know, honestly, I don't I don't think it's a constitutional crisis, but I think um, I know our speaker Kevin McCarthy has asked uh, our committees to make sure that uh, uh, what the federal ramifications of it are. He's asked the Judiciary Committee to look at that, make sure this uh, Manhattan DA is not spending or using federal money in this instance. Uh, so that's that's sort of the tact that, that we've taken. And like I say, people in New York want crime to be prosecuted and not tie up the grand jury on something like this when you've got record <clears throat> record crime and people uh, being hurt uh, in their daily lives in Manhattan. Yeah, well, that that just makes that just makes sense. All right. Let's talk about uh, something that really is serious, and that is Russia and China. Uh, Chinese premier is over in Russia with Putin, and uh, they're making like pals, and that's not a good thing. No, I mean, this is uh, one of our major concerns. We've watching this with uh, keen interest. Uh, the concern is would China in some way financially uh, or militarily back the Russian regime and their uh, continued attacks <clears throat> in Russia? It's public knowledge that they're, you know, they've been buying uh petroleum which fuels the russian regime uh and so this is of of concern and if china wants to be a leader in the world like they claim and be this great peacemaker and this great diplomatic power then they don't need to be defending the nuclear program of north korea they don't need to be defending an illegal invasion of another country by russia uh and they don't need to be uh basically colonizing Africa again with uh, their lending. And this is, again, the Xi government, and it's why we've set up the Select Committee on countering the Chinese Communist Party in this Congress, strongly bipartisan, looking at what the best strategies America should pursue to counter what uh, Xi and the Communist Party in China are doing, not only uh, in, in supporting Russia, but in threatening Taiwan, for example. Well, let me ask this question. Everybody keeps saying about decoupling uh, the United States from China, talking about supply chains and all the rest. In reality, how long would that take? 
I mean, it's not like something that can happen in a year. I mean, this we're looking at a long time to uh, break down what forty years of couple uh, you know, coupling these economies together to try to split them apart. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. Now, let's be clear that in something that is a vital, important national security telecommunications type technology, certain chips, certain components, uh, those can be, and as you know, have been worked on being cut off and also denying the Chinese surveillance state selling their telecommunications equipment and other devices inside Europe and the United States. So that's pretty um, aggressive. But most of of the two-way trade between Europe and the United States and China, which is about 50% of China's trade, if you include Japan, too, well, that's just for everyday things. Uh, And that's why I have a bill on uh, pharmaceutical compounds, medical devices, PPE. I want that. uh, I want our supply chain not dependent on, on China there just like we don't want to be dependent on it on critical technologies, and we don't want to supply critical technologies that can be used against us in a military context to them. So those are priorities. But as you know, decoupling the complete supply chain of things that we've worked on for 40 years to integrate is going to take, I think, decades. I mean, there's just no way you can say it's going to happen. But I do believe the private sector is hard at it, I believe people are saying we can't have a single source of supply, which many people did. We will take the lowest cost provider, single source supply, whether we're making sofas or airplane parts or whatever, and they've turned it over to China. And I think that is changing, but it will change only over uh, you know many years. All right, 719, Congressman French Hill is our guest. We'll come back. We're going to talk further. I want to get into a conversation to him about the visit to uh, Ukraine by the Japan, uh, Japan's prime minister. We want to talk about that. I want to talk about TikTok and what's going on with the Capitol Hill with that. And then uh, let's talk about uh, the Parents' Bill of Rights. We'll talk about that as well. That's all coming up next on the Dave Ellswick Show. You'll want to hear his first break that he'll have with us in just a few moments. Let's get back to talking with Congressman French Hill here on the Dave Ellswick Show. And we were talking about Russia and China. What do we do uh, as uh, as a country? Do you think, uh, Congressman, if uh, you know China starts uh, supplying military equipment to uh, the Russians? Well, I think we would obviously uh, make them a party to secondary sanctions that the European Union, the United States, have imposed on uh, Russia. And Russia is getting ready to have a new round of sanctions uh, now uh, that I think will be tightening uh, it on more on their energy industry and more on their banking industry that were only partially done uh, over the last year. So that would be the first thing. And that's something that China doesn't want because China's whole economy, Dave, is dependent on exports. I mean, they have never fully made that conversion that emerging economies try to do to interior domestic consumption. You know, it took the United States. We probably did that in, you know, in maybe uh, certainly about 100 years after the uh, revolution. Mm -hmm. So they're still depending on exports. They take those export earnings and they invest it in uh, building their military to destroy us. Now, think about that. I mean, (laughs) 
you got to scratch your head on that one, which is why decoupling is important. So I think sanctions would be number one. I think it would be both European and American. All right. So let's move on and let's let's talk further here. Uh, you all are, are meeting daily with your committees in the House. One of those committees is going to have the CEO of uh, TikTok in front of them uh, shortly. And uh, what do you think is going to be the outcome? Is TikTok going to be, you know, basically made, uh, you know, you can't, you're not going to be a guest on any kind of uh, electronic device in the United States? Yeah, well, let's remind everybody. TikTok is uh, has a is a, uh, a a fun app that kids are obsessed with that produces videos. It's global. It's enormous, hundreds of millions of users. And but it is a Chinese company, and it is essentially putting a Chinese spy balloon on your phone. And I've urged people you know, they shouldn't have it on their Wi-Fi. They shouldn't have it on their phone. And uh, this is an important issue. Most governments now, many states, the majority of the states, the federal government, governments in Europe have taken it off any government uh, device or network because of the potential for collecting data. This is just making China more powerful when they collect data in their country and outside their data. It allows them to advance artificial intelligence, which is a, a risk both in the private sector and in the government and the military sector. So I think, yes, I think it's a chance it'll be banned. I think TikTok is arguing, let us uh, separate completely from China. Let us run a separate U.S. company. Let us make sure we're subject to every U.S. law and regulation. And I just don't know that that's going to get the jobs done. But I think that's the debate you'll hear this week. Yeah, well, the CEO has been going to the people of the United States and saying, yeah, you know, your your politicians want to take us away from you, so they're going to try to use consumer pressure uh, on you yeah. in, in your committees. What about uh, the whole thing about spying technology by the Chinese? We just had the story the last time that we, you were on. We were talking about cranes and the yeah. ability that they have yeah. to be able to, to spy on us. Are we going to be able to use any kind of Chinese, uh, you know, uh, materials in this country or are they that bound and determined to spy on us consistently and continually well i think they're they're bound and determined to spy on us consistently and continually they're bound and determined to collect data any way they can legally or illegally to build their (coughs) artificial intelligence machine and what we have to do is be smart about it and we're Chinese products can be used that don't present any clear and present danger, fine, so be it. But, like, the Japanese have taken Huawei components. Huawei is an enormous Chinese telecommunications company. Taken all their components out of any aspect of the Chinese telecommunications system if they think it's risky. But if, you know, some small component or some wiring or some module that they can buy cheaply from China, they do it as long as they don't think it creates that clear and present danger. So I think we'll be selective about it. All right. There's a couple more topics here. Let let me go to the the most important because it may take you a little bit to talk about, and that's the parents' bill rights that you all are going to be voting on. Uh, Bring our listeners up on that. Yeah, real quick. It's called H.R. 5. This was a priority of our commitment to America that we campaigned on last year. We heard from parents so much during the pandemic 
about how they thought their schools were out of control. They thought they had no role in what their child's education looked like. You had parents thrown out of school board meetings. You had parents accused by the uh, Biden administration of somehow being terrorists at school board meetings. So uh, Kevin McCarthy has worked with our members, uh, Julia Lucklow from uh, Louisiana, to create a Parents' Bill of Rights. And we've worked hard to balance this because state and local governments control education. We know that. We don't want to tread on state and local federalism there. But we want to speak to this issue because we hear from our constituents about it. So those rights would include ability to review the curriculum, meet with a teacher of their child at least twice a year, review the budget of their school, inspect the books and other reading materials, address the school board when they want to, and receive any information about uh, violent activities at the school or security concerns. So it's really speaking on behalf of American families that parents have rights to be deeply engaged in their parents in their kids' education. All right. Well, the next time you're on, we'll talk about Japan going to the Ukraine. We'll uh, we'll discuss that. Well, let's get right to it. We've got Congressman Bruce Westerman on the line. He's got about 10 minutes at the max today. So we want to talk to him quickly about what's going on. Why don't you bring us up to date with your committee first, uh, Congressman Westerman, and what's going on? Well, good morning, Dave. And uh, this morning I've got a whole bunch of Arkansas spring breakers up here in the committee room <laughs> uh, waiting waiting for me to go talk to them. So I'm going to have to be a, a little bit uh, brief. But uh, we had our members retreat yesterday, and I think I've told you that the bill that came out of our committee is going to be the basis for, for H.R. 1, which uh, the Speaker has said this is the most important piece of legislation we'll consider in this Congress and gave it the, the designation H.R. 1, uh, and it's the Lower Energy Cost Act, uh, and it takes um, you know the what we passed out of committee to deal with energy on federal lands and waters and mining in America and changing the regulatory environment so we can actually build things here. Um, so we're very excited about that. Uh, we hope to have that bill passed off of the floor uh, by the end of March. So uh, it's been a busy, busy couple of months, and it's going to be even busier as we go forward. How about uh, when we talk about natural resources, we just got done with talking with Congressman Hill. We talked about decoupling the uh, uh, some of the economic ties with the, the Chinese and even the Russians what what are what are you seeing as far as uh, your natural resources committee when you look at that particular topic? Well, it's it's front and center, and it's it's where it all starts. Um, and it's not just the Chinese; it's Russian oil, Saudi oil. Uh, you know, Aramco, the Saudi-owned oil company, had a hundred and sixty-one billion dollar profit last year. Uh, what I read it was the largest profit a company's ever posted. And, you know, the, the Biden administration and the liberals that are blaming big oil, they cause the Saudi oil company to have record profits because they're restraining supply. Um, and when we can produce it here in the U.S., it's going to lower energy costs. Um, and, and energy is foundational in, in all of the economy. Uh, so we can produce it here at home, and then you get into mining. And we're just getting our lunch eaten by China on mining. They've hoarded resources all around the world. In 1990, we produced more copper and steel than China, and today they produce 10 times more copper and 11 times more steel. We have two copper smelters, and they have 50. 
Wow. Uh, they're building a, a coal-fired uh, electric plant every week so that they can produce the energy to refine these minerals and elements and do the manufacturing. And the Biden energy plan plays right into them saying we're going to electrify everything, which means we're totally dependent on China to make the stuff uh, for our, our energy grid. And that has got to change, and that's what HR1 addresses is using our own resources, using our own uh, American labor and, and building it here and cutting those supply chains. Yeah, it, so, it, uh, you know, it gets. Go ahead. Go ahead and finish. I'm sorry. I was just going to say, it gets back to our commitment to America, saying we're going to be energy independent, that we're going to uh, break the tie on these supply chains, and it all starts with energy. Yeah, energy how, and mining. How difficult is it for people to make those connections of the dots that the more you help the Chinese control those areas, the more danger it is to the United States? It, it should be easy to connect, but you know, I did a press conference with McCarthy at the uh, at our retreat, and we were we were talking about energy. Well, the the reporters sat there like they were in a daze when we would talk about energy, and then some CNN reporter would ask him about the Manhattan DA and Trump, and all you could hear were keyboards pounding. And even with McCarthy telling them, "I didn't come here to talk about that. We're talking about our policy that we're pushing." forward and they don't care they don't want the truth out there about um the the real issues the country's facing they want to sensationalize something and um and just ignore the policy so that's the the uphill battle we're facing but we've uh um we're we're going to keep pushing and they're giving me the signal i gotta go okay i'll let you i'll let you get out of there you tell everybody from arkansas that we said hello all right, Dave. Thank you. Have, you. you have a Go good day. Hold. All right. Yeah. All right. Now, what's the difference between that and somebody who they say in their mind, well, you're looking at me like I'm a male. Well, I feel like a female. Do you understand the absurdity of your argument? No, well, I'll leave it there. Lori Lee's going to join us. I want her to come on. Uh, Secretary of Education here for Arkansas, uh, Oliva, is going to be holding a town hall. Uh, it's important that you understand what the LEARNS Act is, what's going to go on with the LEARNS Act, how it's going to be rolled out in the state, and uh, here you're going to have an opportunity to go to a town hall and find that out. Hey, Lori, how are you? Are you with hey, us? Dave, I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing good. Uh, trying to trying to make sense out of nonsensical things, but that's okay. Uh, so you tell me. Well, when you get it figured out, you let me know. I, I will. All right, you tell me what's coming up with uh, Secretary Oliva. Uh, when's the town hall going to happen? Because, look, if you need to know what this law is going to do, the Learns Act, what it's going to do, how it's going to work, and the only way you can find that out is go and listen to the people who have the answers, Correct. My uh, suggestion to those uh, that have questions about it, yes. That's why we put this together, and uh, we are very excited uh, that Secretary Oliva uh, will be our guest of honor um, at the virtual town hall on the 29th, one week from today. Um, You can imagine this is a statewide call, so we need to have everybody just register through the Reform Alliance. There's a... um, 
there's a registration link on our Facebook page, Twitter. Uh, if it's not at this point on our website, it will be. Um, or you can just email info at the Reform Alliance and ask for the link. Um, but but we are on Facebook and Twitter, and it's all over the place. It's going to be at 7 o'clock on the 29th, next Wednesday, um, and it's going to be for one hour. And you can submit questions um, uh, beforehand um, because, you know, the chances are great that there are the same questions from many people. Right. Um, and so that we can make sure that we're getting the questions answered uh, that, that people have um about it, and we're going to talk, be talking specifically about the EFAs, the Education Freedom Accounts, uh, and how they impact parents and students, and what to expect, and talking about eligibility, and the amount of money, and the schools, and uh, you know perhaps a little bit about the timeline and those kind of things. Um, so I think it'd be really great uh, for people who have questions. Um, we cannot cover the entire LEARNS Act. I mean, you know, it's 100 and close to 150 pages, and it has many different uh, uh, things in it, you know, teacher raises, uh, uh, all kinds of things, uh, early childhood, you know, grade school things. Um, but we will be covering the EFAs first, um, and then as things roll out, we would anticipate that we would have more calls with the Department of Education uh, and Secretary Oliva uh, to the other issues that are of concern to the people of Arkansas. Yeah, well, here's what's important about this is that it's being done uh, in a phone call, so you don't have to travel anywhere uh, to be part of this. You can do it right from the comfort of your own house. That's exactly right. And it's going to be a webinar style, uh, so um, you don't have to get dressed. It's not a, it's not a Zoom, so... Um, <laughs> Uh, it's going to be a, we've done this venue uh, before and it works out really well um, we did it with uh, the former secretary and I think we had something like 110,000 Arkansans uh, on a on a call wow so um, yeah yeah it could be a big deal so it's open to everyone everyone in the state of Arkansas is invited you don't have to uh, you know, there's no qualifications. You can just, all, all you have to do is sign up um, because it is going to be so large and, um, and we had to, you know, get it through, um, through Zoom. So, um, so that's, that's just a requirement that, that there is, that all everybody right. has to sign up. So. All right. So let me ask you one, one last question <laughs> before I let you go. And, and that's this. If there was one major issue or question that is on people's minds right now about this, what is it? Um, I think it's like how the, the school choice portion of this bill actually affects uh, education in the state of Arkansas. And unfortunately, as you know, Dave, there's a ton of misinformation out there. Yeah. What, what is important in these conversations, and I was just talking to a friend of mine earlier this morning, is that people go to the core of the answers. I mean, you, you don't have to believe me. You don't have to believe Max Brantley. You don't have to believe, you know, John Brummett. What you need to do is look and find the evidence for yourself. And what I do when, I, when I'm unfamiliar with the topic is I do triangulation. Like, I see what the left saying. I see what the right saying. And then I get to the core documents as fast as possible. 
So I would encourage everybody to read the bill themselves, especially the portion that addresses uh, the EFAs, and then look at the research and the data and the evidence that's been done regarding these programs. It's very easy to find. I mean, there's a difference between somebody's opinion, like uh, the chick that the head of the, the teachers union, Dana Radovich, or whatever her name is. Right. You know, she, she has a lot of books out there, but it's all opinion-based. None of it is research-based. But she has a right to her opinion. But when you look at the research, the people that have actually studied this and the programs that already exist in America, overwhelmingly, 98% of the research points to that school choice programs are good for students, it's good for the traditional public schools, it's good for business, it's good for communities, it's good for families. Um, it's just overall good. And so, you know, when you, when you have that kind of weight with research and evidence, you know, you, you've got to lend to that. Um, and so just, just people not liking it or, you know, thinking their opinion is that it's bad, that, that's important, but it's not how we make decisions for our state. We, make, we should, and, and thankfully um, this decision, I believe, was made on evidence and data, uh, make those decisions that we know are going to produce the outcomes that we want for our kids. And these programs, by and large, have shown a massive return on investment for our children. And uh, at the end of the day, if we've all decided that education, the point of education is not necessarily to, you know, uh, provide jobs or, or um, support a particular model, but it is to ensure that our children can read, write, and do math upon 12 years and either go get a job or, you know, go, go further their education in a university or college, uh, then this is the way to go um, because that's what this does. This helps educate more children to that point uh, than we are right now. Well, the other way you find out things is you hear from the horse's own mouth, and that's exactly what they'll do uh, coming up uh, next Wednesday at 7 o'clock when the Secretary of Education of Arkansas, Oliva, will speak to the questions that they have. All right. I appreciate you working with us and, and letting us know what was going on. Thanks for getting in touch with me. I didn't know it was so close. Uh, I knew that you all were going to do this, so I'm, uh, I'm more than happy to promote it for you. Well, I appreciate that. Next Wednesday at 7 o'clock, I hope everybody that has any questions or just wants to know more about it um, will join the call. It is free. It is in your home. Uh, and, uh, and all you got to do is just sign up and you'll be, uh, we'll be there. We'll send out lots of reminders. And if anybody's got any questions, just let me know. All right. We appreciate you. Thank you much, Lori Lee, uh, Reform Alliance here on the Dave Ellswick show. Uh, we got to get a break in. Don't forget about Hillcrest designer jewelry. Mother's day is not that far down the line. Uh, I always uh, try to keep you guys in line about this or certain, certain holidays you shouldn't forget. We got past uh, Valentine's Day, okay? Now we got Mother's Day coming up, and you want to make sure that you have something special for her for Mother's Day. I, I suggest if uh, your wife has, you know, born your children that you get her a, a mother's ring that has the, uh, the, the stones of each child's birthday embedded in it. Uh, it can be a, a simple ring. It can be an ornate ring. It can be one that you buy out of a display case. Or it can be one that you have uh, created by Eric Coleman at Hillcrest Designer Jewelry. But get over and talk to Eric about this. Look at what he's got made up, if that's what you're looking at. 
or talk to him about what you want made, and you need to do that now so that he'll have the time to be able to get uh, the, uh, the, uh, the, the ring done. Get one for your, uh, your wife, maybe one for your mom. You know, I mean, it is Mother's Day, uh, so keep that in mind. Go to Hillcrest Designer Jewelry. They're located at 3000 Cavanaugh, Suite E, open Monday through Saturday, 10 until 6. You can call them at 501-246-3655, or I just suggest that you stop by and visit with Eric, get to know him and why he is such a unique person, why his unique creations are just that, and why they're so beautiful. Uh, let him talk to you about how he can help you with estate jewelry. He can show you some of the things that he's already got made up that are in display cases. He can show you the quality of the diamonds and the jewels that he works with, and he does the repairs and cleaning as well. Again, that's 3000 Cavanaugh, Sweet E, Hillcrest Designer Jewelry, open Monday through Saturday, 10 until 6. Let's get back uh, for the final hour of Dave Ellswick's show. Story today in the uh, uh, the Dem Gas was uh, Senate Bill 449 that uh, is going to be looked at next week because right now the, uh, the, uh, the House and the Senate both are on spring break, so they're not uh, uh, at the Capitol. Uh, about uh, Senate Bill 449, which deals with broadband, and it's being sponsored by uh, State Senator Jane English of North Little Rock, that aims to create a broadband advisory council to aid state officials in expanding access to high-speed Internet. Senate Bill 449 would establish a 16-member panel intended to provide input to the state broadband manager and the secretary of the Department of Commerce on implementation of the Federal Broadband Equity Access and Deployment Program. Uh, During an interview on Tuesday, English said that the council would resemble broadband advisory panels established in other states. She hoped the group, which under the bill would represent interest from Arkansas banking uh, to health care sectors, would provide state officials with feedback from various stakeholders. Uh, We're talking millions of dollars here. We're talking... uh, that uh, just about every state receives $100 million for broadband. And when I talk broadband on my show, I talk with the guy that who's been uh, working it since the very beginning. That's uh, state, uh, uh, of course, uh, uh, state uh, uh, representative Stephen Meeks, who uh, has joined us now. And, uh, Stephen, you've been working this. Was Did you get started with this when uh, – all the way back when we had a Democrat governor? Mm, right after he left. That was under uh, Speaker Jeremy Gillum, so about 2015, 2016. Okay, all right. So, so you, you've, been, you've been at it since we really started seriously talking about it, right? Definitely, yes. Okay, yeah. so SB 449. I mean, I'm, I understand there's some things that need to be forwarded as far as legislation but doggone it i would much rather hear what you have to say about this than about senator english i have nothing against senator english except that this is the first time i've heard her speak out about broadband i've heard you speak about broadband a lot 
Well, Senator English has been one of my partners over in the Senate on this for quite a while now. Okay. Uh, as you know, nothing nothing gets done by um, just uh, one member and one body. You have to have both. Uh, you have to have members in both bodies. And um, the senators that I usually work with on broadband issues tend to be either uh, Senator English or Senator Missy Irvin are the two that really uh, championed it, uh, this issue with me. Okay. Well, that, that's good to know then. I did not know that, but now that I do, I feel a little bit better about this, to be honest with you. What's going on on the House side? Are you guys putting something together similar to this? No, this is actually the first I've heard of this. Now, this is kind of looking at it. This is uh, based on... It looks like meetings we've had in the past. So we've had advisory groups in the past that have gotten together, but it's all been kind of informal to uh, help us uh, develop broadband plans for the state. So it looks like what she's trying to do here is trying to uh, um, create a a more formal process for this to uh, take place. As you know, we just got a new broadband manager, and uh, so it looks like what she's trying to do is to formal. make it a formal advisory council on him for him and that office as we move forward uh, as a as a state. Um, just kind of looking through the bill, so I, I hadn't heard of the bill until we had we had talked this morning about okay. it. Uh, uh, but looking at the bill, what it uh, looks like it's trying to do is, you know, one of the, the challenges is as we've been getting broadband out across the state is the uptake rate in Arkansas, the number of people that take the internet. Uh, once it's available compared to other states has been lagging in our state. And for a lot of people, it's just they don't know what they can do with this tool. Why do I need it? I've never needed it before. And uh, so they just don't avail themselves to the technology. And so part of this is, you know, a, a digital literacy to look at, you know, how do we train people so that when they have access to this, they know how to use it or, um, you know, the affordability, how do we make sure that it's affordable so citizens can have access to it? So um, a lot of needs besides just trying to get it to everybody's community. So those are kind of like the second and third prongs of that stool. we got to get it to people, but then they also need to know what they can do with it. You know, how do you, how do you call a doctor using telehealth? How do you, you know, invest in stocks? How do you set up a commerce website? How do you transact? You know, how do I order something from Amazon? Um, and then, uh, of course, the cost factor has to be affordable for, for folks. You, do you worry that I'm sitting here looking at this, this uh, advisory? The members would include a representative from the Arkansas Farm Bureau Federation, mm-hmm. the Arkansas mm-hmm. State Chamber of Commerce, the Association of Arkansas Counties, the Arkansas Municipal League, yeah, I I understand those are important groups, but it worries me that a lot of times I don't feel like they work in the best interest of Arkansans. Well, each one of those obviously is a special interest group. Farm Bureau is going to be working on behalf of uh, farmers, and uh, they have actually been a uh, solid partner with us because a lot of their members, they're, they're the demographic that generally doesn't have access out in the rural areas. Um, of course, state chamber represents business, and while there are times I do find myself at odds with the state chamber on, <laughs> on legislation, um, I actually have a, a bill out there now that uh, they're, they're probably not going to be happy with. But um, 
you know, we, we want businesses and the economy to thrive in our state. Oh, so, of course. Uh, yeah, and so the, these are, you know, th this is going to be like an advisory so that they don't have like any legislative authority or policy making decision. I mean, those decisions will still rest with the people's representative. But, um, you know, they may, you know, like with the Farm Bureau, they may understand you know, why farmers in the rural area may not be interested in the internet and then the farm bureau may be best poised because there's a trust relationship there to go into the farming community and explain why and how this technology can be a benefit to them more so than say a state government guy coming into that community um the um uh you know like with the counties and municipal league the um so a lot of the grants that we are providing in order for a community to get that grant, the local internet service provider has to um, partner with the city or the county because the city or the county is the one who provides the oversight to make sure that the service provider is doing with the money what they said they were doing with the money. And so you want that voice yeah, uh, helping to bring counsel to us since they're the ones who are providing that local oversight of those tax dollars. Yeah, but I noticed that there's no elected officials on this group. I mean, right. it's like I mean, everybody yeah. in the everybody and their mama and daddy are on this group, but you well, know, and then I guess once every year they're supposed to come up with some kind of a. Uh, a report that goes to the governor and and different and the, to the, the the what the head of the senate and the head of the house and things of that nature right right yeah and, and that that doesn't necessarily worry me because like i said it's just an advisory uh, uh panel so they're just going to bring advice they don't have any um uh you know, they're not like elected officials. They're not going to be making the final decision. Any policy that uh, they would recommend would go through the broadband office, and then that would eventually come to the General Assembly. So um, I wouldn't worry about, you know, them coming up with anything, you know, draconian, beyond the fact that, you know, Governor Sanders is the one who will be appointing uh, the majority of the this board. So... Um, I have every confidence that uh, if this were to come to fruition, that she would, uh, you know, appoint members who would be acting in the best interest of our citizens. All right. Just from your cursory look at this, are there any anything anything that would concern you that you're seeing in this particular piece of legislation? No, and I have it here in front of me. I'm kind of looking through here. I don't see anything that just screams at me. Because, uh, again, it's just an advisory. They're just going to say, you know, we've met and we recommend we do A, B, and C, and and then we decide to take it or leave it. So, no, and then there's no, um, you know, they're not going to be paid for this, so they'll be serving in a, you know, volunteer capacity. And uh, so, no, I I'm, I would be, this, I, I, this would be something I would support them um, because they may see something that, we need to see and, and are missing. So okay, all right. Well, that may that puts me a little bit more at ease because I consider I've had you on any time we've talked about broadband. Mm -hmm. I have brought mm -hmm. you on because you've been involved with this from the get go. Mm -hmm. And 
Yeah, no, I appreciate that. This is obviously a major issue for our citizens, and it is. Our, uh, we're, we're, we're making progress, maybe not as quickly as folks would like, but uh, we are definitely uh, a lot better off than we were when we first started. I mean, we're talking a hundred million dollars. That's not chicken feed. Nope, nope. No, we've well, like I said, we've in the past we've spent over four hundred million on this since the COVID, and there's hundreds of millions more coming to the state, and we want to make sure we get it right and. Part of that uh, is making sure that we're, you know, partnering with people in the private sector to uh, get the voices of uh, everyone at the table. Wow, man. I mean, talking about $100 million here, $100 million there, like Everett Dirksen said, now you're starting to talk about real money. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Hey, quickly, what what's going on about this stuff? I mean, Peyton, uh, Senator Peyton got upset the other day about a cashless state of Arkansas you brought this up to me as well. What's going on? So I was approached a couple of weeks ago from the Uniform Law Commission. They're the ones that update the Uniform Commercial Code. And every state has a Uniform Commercial Code. And just a simple analogy is we have uniform traffic law. So a red light means stop in Arkansas, Texas, Oklahoma, and so on. We have the same thing with our financial transactions. And they asked if I would be willing to uh, carry the update for the Uniform Commercial Code since the vast majority of it deals with uh, cryptocurrencies and being a technology I'm familiar with, I said I'd be happy to do that. Um, So the broad uh, purpose of this update is just technical corrections and then it adds um, uh, generally protections and um, the rules regulating who owns cryptocurrencies, NFTs, they've become popular in the last couple of years, how all that's handled, and all that aspect of it was good. But they've introduced two sections that create problems. One of them is they redefine money to not include basically cryptocurrencies. And the reason why they're doing that is because Costa Rica adopted Bitcoin as one of their fiat currencies. And so it brought up uh, you know, concerns about how we handle this this virtual asset. The other aspect of the bill that created problems are it creates a new um, electronic money, it's called. In other words, a digital dollar. And where this is coming from is uh, last year China has released its uh, pilot program on a central bank digital currency. Um, and other countries around the world are working on it. So, of course, our government as well. There's a, the, you know, the digital dollar, if you will. And one of the sections of this bill includes definitions and the uh, management of how the digital dollar will take place. Well, the concern is is that, A, a lot of people don't want the digital dollar uh, because the digital dollar can be programmable. In other words, you know, Dave, we're trying to get rid of uh, these greenhouse gases, so this week you can only buy two gallons of gas mm. with your digital dollar, okay. and it would prohibit you from spending more than, you know, what's required to get your two gallons. And, of course, since it's digital, it theoretically could be tracked, so we know everything you've bought, when you bought it, how you bought it, and and uh, so forth. Um, you know, a lot of proponents are pushing this because it was, does away with, you know, black market and... You know, no one can rob you at gunpoint and steal your digital dollar, right? So yeah. security, safety, you know, all that's going to be pushed. Um, but the the problem is, is we don't have a digital dollar in existence yet. So why legislate it? 
Um, and we don't know, uh, you know, how these privacy concerns are going to be issued. We don't know. And so it's kind of like they've, they've jumped the gun on it. All right. Well, let me, um, ju- let me jump in. I'm going to stop you for a moment and yeah. I, I've run out of time for this segment. So mm-hmm. let me get back in touch with you. And I think we need to do a whole half hour on this. Sounds good. Yeah. All right. I appreciate you. Thanks for uh, chiming in with us. I feel a lot better about SB 449, by the way, and I appreciate your time today, uh, State and, Representative. And Dave, we look forward to visiting in the future. Okay, thanks a lot, uh, State Representative Stephen Meeks here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Quick break, BBB going to be with us when we come back. Uh, a lot of people were kind of zeroing in on yesterday being the zero hour, even the former president was. Now we know that the... Uh, Grand jury there in New York is uh, still meeting. The last I read, it was still meeting. And uh, they were getting one more witness in. And then they'll have to to decide whether an indictment is going to be sought or it is not going to be sought. But with all of this said, look, I've laid out for you over the the time that we've had just today uh, that this is small potato stuff that's going on. But that the uh, the DA has taken and, and I think weaponized this whole thing and blown it up to such an, an effect that uh, it, I think it could damage our body politic completely here in the United States. So I wanted to talk to Hans von Spakowski uh, from the Heritage Foundation. I mean, if you want to, I'm going to be honest with you, if you want it and you want it straight, you get Hans on. And I've got him on. I saw him at CPAC, never got to get him on. He was walking right around Radio Row where I was uh, located at, uh, but I wasn't able to get him to join us, and I was wanting to talk about this. So I got a hold of Heritage, and uh, they set this up for us. So I'm glad to have him here. Hans, thanks so much for joining us here back on the Dave Ellswick Show. You're not only right that this is small potatoes, but the whole the whole issue here is that what this DA is claiming was a violation of the law was not a violation of the law. Right. I mean, it, it, that 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 is that is the whole issue in this case. And for the folks who don't understand what's what's going on, look, this D.A. is claiming that when Trump's attorney at the time, Michael Cohen, made a hundred and thirty thousand dollar payment to Stormy Daniels as part of a, a settlement agreement for her supposed claims about a sexual affair, that that somehow violated federal law because he says it was uh, an unreported campaign uh, expense. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, <laughs> uh, first of all, no campaign funds were pay, were used to pay this. Um, this uh, The money that was used to pay this off on of Michael Cohen was actually reimbursed by apparently Donald Trump from his own personal funds. But how do we know it wasn't actually a campaign expense? The Manhattan DA has no jurisdiction <laughs> over violations of federal law. The the two agencies that actually enforce the federal law governing uh, campaigns uh, for federal office are the U.S. Justice Department and the Federal Election Commission. I actually used to be, Dave, a commissioner. I know. The Federal Election Commission. So my, my job was to enforce the, the very law that Manhattan DA is claiming Trump violated. Both the Justice Department and the FEC opened up investigations of this payment and then closed them 
because they obviously concluded there had been no violation of the law. Why? Because it was not a campaign-related expense, and no campaign funds were used to pay it. So the whole basis for this DA's uh, 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 possible indictment just disappears into thin air. So what is he telling the uh, the grand jury that they have to make this decision on? I mean, you got to have some legal some legal basis for bringing charges, correct? Well, he's claiming that uh, apparently his star witness, as I said, is Michael Cohen, who long ago said, look, this wasn't this payment wasn't related to the campaign. It was related to the fact that um, they they didn't want Trump's wife, uh, Melanie Trump, to know about it. Yeah. Well, apparently he's now changed his story. But one of the other problems that this Manhattan DA, Alvin Bragg, has is that one of his final witnesses this week was a guy named Robert Costello. Robert Costello was Michael Cohen's lawyer. Mm -hmm. And Costello, uh, he's no longer bound by the attorney-client privilege because that was waived by Cohen some time ago. Apparently, he went into the grand jury and told the grand jury, uh, two things. One, that Michael Cohen is a serial liar and, in fact, told him, Costello, repeatedly that this payment was made so that um, uh, Trump's wife would not know about this, had nothing to do with the campaign. But apparently uh, he testified for two hours and realized that um, all of the information that he, Costello, had turned over to this Manhattan D.A., had not been given to the grand jury. Oh no. Okay, so yeah. if you if you're not sh- if you're not sh- uh, you know sharing that information, what does that say about the uh, the attorney general here? Well, it tells you a lot about how this is an unethical DA, and that this is he's doing this because of his own political ambitions. Because uh, look, think about this. Uh, this is a guy who um, was elected with about a million dollars being given to him and uh, in his support by George Soros. He's one of those left-wing rogue prosecutors that Soros has been getting elected all over the country. And the first thing Bragg did when he came into office in New York was he said, my office will no longer be prosecuting misdemeanors. And he took 50% of the um, felonies in the city and said, oh, these are now going to be considered misdemeanors. All kinds of things like burglaries, robberies. He suddenly said, these are going to be misdemeanors. He's, he, he is a horrible DA. He's driven by his left-wing ideology, and, and crime has just gone up radically in New York because of his policies. And yet what does he do? You know, instead of concentrating on the everyday serious crimes happening in New York, he spends how many years trying to go after Donald Trump? Remember, this payoff, it happened seven years ago. All right. Let's uh, let's take a quick break, if we can, Hans. I'll come back. And I, sure. I, I want you to look down uh, into the future a little bit. And if they do indict the former uh, President Trump, What does it mean for the body politic in the United States of America? Let's talk about that here on the Dave Ellswick Show. I I, I always thought that we couldn't get any further apart 
on all of this and be more divided as a nation, I got to tell you, this worries me if this happens. Let's come back in just a moment on the Dave Ellswick Show. Heritage uh, Foundation folks are with me, and uh, we got some more stuff to talk about. I see you uh, protection. Uh, you want to get security. You want alarms. You want cameras. You want monitoring for your home or your business. They can do it for you. I mean, look, they do nuke one. They watch the nuclear reactor. They take care of it. They keep it under uh, secure monitoring and things of that nature. And if look, if they can do a a nuke reactor, they can take care of your living room or outside your home or outside your business or inside your business or whatever. Uh, secondly, you will pay for the service. Yes, that, that would be expected. But you're not going to pay for the hardware. I mean, you go to some of these uh, uh, businesses that put in cameras for you, indoor, outdoor cameras, doorbell cameras, door and window sensors and all the rest, and you got to pay for every sensor and every camera. And it can be hundreds of dollars that you have to pay up front, and then all of that stuff belongs to you. Well, with ICU, you don't have to pay anything for the hardware. All you got to do is pay for the service. Look, I got cameras. I've got door and window sensors. I got the digital panel in my uh, my dining room. I got motion detection. I got analytics. I got all of that. And it all comes to my smartphone, and I only pay $70 a month. It's a great deal. You call them, talk to them about it. Talk to Billy Mack, the owner himself. Here's his number, 501-205-1333. 501-205-1333 for ICU protection. Yeah. All right, so Hans, let me ask, ask this. How, right now, as far as politics are in this United States, it's, it's, it's been kind of poison, to say the least. Uh, is this not poisoning the pool even more so? Isn't this going to make getting getting back at people even going to be worse than it is right now? It, it is, and um, this will damage our judicial system in a way that I don't think we have seen um, uh, in a very long time. Because what you're seeing is a weaponization and use of the very, very powerful um, uh, uh, prosecution and judicial system as a political weapon to target political opponents. That is what's going on in New York. Actually, we see the same thing going on down in Atlanta where a politically ambitious Democratic DA there named Fannie Willis is doing exactly the same thing. And I, I, I can't think of anything more damaging to our whole judicial system. And, and what's so scary about this is, and I say this, look, I'm a first-generation American, all right? My mother's German. She grew up in Nazi Germany. My father was Russian. Uh-huh. He had to flee. He had to flee both uh, his homeland of Russia and then the, the, the second country that he uh, settled in, Yugoslavia, when the communists took over. And this is the kind of thing that happens in tyrannical regimes, and in third world countries, you know, it was, you know, it was Joseph Stalin's uh, head of the secret police that once said, show me the man and I'll show you the crime. And that seems to be exactly what's going on in New York and in at Atlanta. And, and I, this should scare everyone um, in America, no matter what your politics are. Look, no matter whether you like or dislike Donald Trump, uh, you should see that what is being done here is the manufacturing of a criminal prosecution 
for something that was not a crime, and the only reason for that is is politics, and that should scare everybody. Well, and, and it's not only working on a couple of AGs. We're talking about the DOJ and the FBI and other agencies within our own government that are being weaponized. Yeah, I mean, I mean, when when you have the FBI, I mean, just one one aspect when you have the FBI secretly talking to social media companies and telling them that they should be censoring the accounts of individuals who are expressing opinions that the FBI disagrees with. You know, they can label it misinformation if they want, but basically they're disagreeing with opinions on everything from COVID to elections. Again, that is taking us down the road to tyranny and mm-hmm. is changing us uh, into uh, the kind of country that countries that my parents fled. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, it's 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 really worrisome. It, it worries me because I can see it happening. I you know, I'm not a, a spring chicken by any stretch of the imagination. But what worries me, Hans, is that young people do not see this happening. They don't no. understand it. Well, you know, part of that is because, and again, this is what's so dangerous for our future, is uh, we have all these young people now uh, coming up through our schools, coming up through colleges, for, where, for example, they have put in these restrictive speech codes that mm-hmm. totally censor them and their First Amendment rights. Um, and they're going to go out into government, into industry, thinking that's normal. That's the way things should be. So I'm afraid things are going to get worse than they are even now. Yeah. How do you, how do you feel about that as far as uh, uh, companies? Some companies are beginning to push back on that type of stuff. But if your workers that are being hired by you keep pushing on it, how do you continue to have workers? I think you have to make it clear as a corporate executive that uh, you're in the business of doing business and you're not going to get involved in the uh, social politics of the day. And for folks who try to insist on doing that within your company, you should say uh, uh, goodbye. Uh, if you want to do that kind of work, then go find some nonprofit group or somebody else uh, to do that kind of work and don't do it in our in our business, in our company. Yeah, and quit paying $180,000, $190,000 to somebody to do DEI, you know? I mean, it's, 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 yeah. it's insane. Yeah. It's insane. It is. Hans, thanks so much. I, I appreciate you. I, I love having a breath of fresh air come across my uh, my microphone at times, and uh, you do that for us, and we appreciate it. Sure thing. All right, take care. Talk to you later. All right. Hans von Spotsky here on the Dave Ellswick Show, Heritage Foundation. And, and, and he's right. That this, this, is, this is dangerous, dangerous, dangerous ground that we're covering. This is thin ice, folks. Uh, we just don't want to fall through the ice now. I love my country too much to to think that, you know, things are going to, as ugly as they are right now, that they're going to get uglier. I don't want to see it happen because let's remind ourselves about something. When we start believing that uh, the way that we have laws in this country can't be trusted, 
then the only recourse is to do things outside the law. And that's not good. We do not want to live in a country where you have somebody like a a Stalin that says it doesn't matter how many people vote. It only matters about who counts the votes. I mean, these are... This is stuff that I learned when I was a kid in school. And they don't teach it anymore. Now they want to teach you about, well, are you a boy or a girl? Let's get away from that and let's get talking and teaching the important things again and stay and save our republic. I really would like to do that. All right. Let's take a break. Uh, we'll get back together again tomorrow morning, 7 o'clock. Uh, Joe and Duck are going to be here along with Gary Henry. And uh, we'll be talking to them about cars and uh, doing that first on the Dave Ellswick Show. I'm trying to get somebody on. I've, I've put uh, Aaron in charge of this. He'll be trying to get somebody from the DEA on. And I want to talk about fentanyl in the state of Arkansas, how it's affecting the state of Arkansas. And on top of it, I want to talk about there's another addition to this whole story about fentanyl and that's Trank. That's what it's called, Trank. It's tranquilizer. It's an animal tranquilizer. I don't know if it's the same thing as PCP was back in the 60s, 70s, or not. But it's an animal tranquilizer, and they're cutting drugs with it as well. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.